Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Good morning or afternoon or evening, whatever time it is where you're listening to this broadcast or podcast. This is Richard Iyer and Linda Iyer on Iyer's on the Road. And we have been on the road from Salt Lake City to uh, Cedar City to St. George City. Those this of you week- who are familiar with Utah, my goodness, the southern, southern part of the state, the Red Rocks, the sand is just such a beautiful spot. It is amazing here. I mean, it is fall, but you wouldn't know it. Last week it was pretty warm, but now it really cooled down. So it is really absolutely gorgeous. Perfect. We have been out on bikes up at Snow Canyon. We are leaving today as soon as we finish this um, show to go down Zion's Canyon on bikes, which is so fantastic because they won't let cars in there anymore. You have to go on a bus. And so we are going on bikes and we have the coolest bikes in the whole world um, (laughs) because we have a little extra help. We have batteries on our bikes. And so we have so much fun. Wow. I tried so long to get you to go biking, Linda, and you're like, it's too hard. It's, it's too, too hard, hard going up those hills. It's too now hard. you just zip along past me with your little battery. Electric <laughs> biking. If somebody asks you, what's your what's your best sport? I know what you're going to say, electric biking. Right. <laughs> and you have to admit that you have one, too. So, so there. Well, I had to to keep up with you. <laughs> Um, it really is so wonderful to be here, and we're here for a special reason, and that is that we are here for the Senior Games. Um, we we do have to admit that we're seniors, and uh, it really has been what so exciting. What is a exciting. senior anyway, as a senior? I mean, that's like a senior advisor to the president, or senior, is senior always a good title? Sure it is. I think you always think of it as good, but anyway... Um, Richard's done well. He and his partner won the gold and the doubles in tennis uh, for the third consecutive year. So it really has been so fun. A lot of great people show up for these games from all over the U.S. Um, uh, Unfortunately, a great guy and his wife showed up who were champions who just walked in and mopped up on um, the singles. Knocked me out of the singles. But Linda, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about something really wonderful today. This is actually the sixth uh, episode in a little series we're doing called The Top Ten Marriaging Ideas. And, And we don't necessarily mean our ideas. We mean over the last 40 years of being on the road, quote unquote, and speaking to parents and marriage partners all around the world. There are 10 things. We tried to boil it down to 10 observations we've made or 10 um, approaches or ideas or tips or methodologies that really seem to work in marriage. They really seem to land a positive source of power to to a marriage. And Linda, we're not marriage counselors. We're not psychologists. We're not we're not people who write books on marriage, although we are finally writing a book on marriage after 50 years. We finally think we have a few little things that we can say. But we're observers, and we have been around a lot of 
really good marriages. And we've tried to distill down to these six things. And today's an interesting one. We're going to talk to you and we're going to discuss together what we call the five C's of a strong marriage. And they really spin off from the fifth episode in this series, which was on total commitment. And commitment is the first of these five C's, but there are four others that go with it. And we think it it sort of forms like a checklist of, you know, what are the things that you should really be working on as a couple if you want to continually strengthen your marriage? And Linda, don't you think that the the best marriages we've seen, one of the hallmarks is, they're never satisfied. They're all, they're continually trying to improve their relationship. Even if they've been married for decades, they're, they're not willing to say, well, this is it. This is what we have, nothing more. They're always looking to make it a little better, a little better, a little stronger. I hope so. I mean, there are a lot that are just getting a little worse and a little worse. Well, I mean, sure. they aren't, yeah. And they aren't all successful. In fact, many aren't. But I think that's the key is really um, trying and maintaining uh, what you feel about each other and figuring out how you can make a marriage better. So we're going to launch into these yeah, five you know, things you, that you, we really think work. What you said, though, just a minute ago is really, really interesting to me, Linda, because um, marriages don't, they don't stay static. They don't stay the same. I, I think you'd agree, all of you who are listening are married. Your marriage probably is getting a little better or a little worse. I mean, even today, this this particular day, it's going to get a little better or a little worse. And tomorrow and the next day and so on. It's like, you know, the start of basketball season coming on. And I, I'm a sports guy, as probably all of you know. And it's so interesting that the best players in any sport are the ones that keep progressing. They're, they're never, okay, I'm a star now. I'm satisfied. They're going to learn a new part of their game. They're going to learn a new a new aspect. They're going to develop a new shot in basketball, or they're going to develop a new uh, a new form of offense in football, or whatever. They're 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 not content. They're always growing, and that's one of the hallmarks of marriage. It's it's probably either getting better or it's declining slightly. And to keep it on an upward, not that you won't have bad days, right? It'll be like a graph that goes up and down. But if the general direction of it is up. That's what makes a marriage exciting. It really does. And, you know, interesting because I I think we're in flux all the time. Some days I'm mad at you and some days I'm not. <laughs> it depends on the <laughs> well, day. Well, not for the whole day. You get no. over it pretty fast. Um, true. But <laughs> it, it is really interesting because it is a moving target all the time. And it's something we need to think about all the time. So let's let, with that in mind, let's go through these. And we, talk, we talked extensively. If you missed the show on commitment, I'd encourage you to go back on BYU Radio or on your podcast and listen to that because we think it all begins with commitment. We think when the commitment is total, and we even talked, I remember Linda, about people who renew their vows every year and who just focus on that commitment and on on it always being strong. That's sort of the the base level. That's sort of the security. That's sort of the thing we can always depend on no matter what's going on at the moment. The commitment is always there. And we won't go a lot further with that one because we we did it extensively. But that's the beginning. And some of these other C's may surprise you a little bit. Number two, the second C is compatibility. 
account. Now, Linda, I think a lot of people would say, well, you're either compatible or you're not. I mean, that's what you decide before you're married. Are you compatible? Some people cohabitate for a while to find out if they're compatible and then they get married and so on. But we we think of compatibility not as just something that exists or doesn't exist, but something that you work on. How can we become more compatible? How can I meet Linda's needs a little more consistently? How can we accommodate this relationship and become more compatible? I don't mean comfortable necessarily, although that's part of it. How do we get more comfortable with each other, more compatible? How do, how do we grow that? And I think we don't really have uh, secrets from each other, but I think there are spaces where we know not to go, you know, because it just creates right. a lot of angst and so on. And the more you can do that and, and feel comfortable with it, obviously, if something's really worrying you, you have to bring it up. But if you, if you can do that, it is pretty, uh, it helps a lot, I think, to go around things that are worrisome or hurtful or um, making the partner anxious. Well, I think that's, that's really well said, Linda. It's like two sides of a coin, right? If you're compatible and you're trying to become more and more compatible, on the one side of the coin, you're aware of where not to go. You're aware of the things that are hurtful or that are bothersome or that are annoying or that are irritating. You try to avoid those. And on the other side of the coin, you know there are some things that are that are always nourishing. They're always they're the love languages, right? They're the things that, right. that always speaks positively to your partner. And you're working to have more of that side of the coin and less of the other side. Yeah. And sometimes it's not easy because it's not always easy to hand out exactly what the other person really wants or needs because you're distracted or you have other things that you are more, you know, present right at the moment. Or you're thinking more of what you need than what the other person needs. Right. Right. So that's a that's an interesting one, because I don't know that we would call ourselves compatible when we got married. I mean, we loved each other and we were having yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of fun together. Yeah. But there, there are things that we've discovered that we weren't really compatible with, about, around, whatever you say. And it really um, takes a lot of time to work all that out and figure out what, how you can approach um, something in a way that's compatible. Yeah, the reason we put that one on the list is because it is a little surprising. You Again, usually people say, well, you're either compatible or you're not. I mean, that's like a test, like a question on a test. Are you compatible? And the answer is, we're working at it. We're getting more compatible. It's kind of a neat word. I like the middle syllable, right? I like to pat you a lot, right? Compatible. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but we want to grow. We want to grow that compatibility. That Sometimes you, you, you meet a couple. We, we know a couple of people in, in the ch church where we go who have been married a lot longer than we have, which is really saying something. But they just seem so compatible. It's like they're almost they're almost two parts of one whole. It's a beautiful thing. They they mesh together. It's like I don't know, it's hard to even put into words, but 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 make compatibility one of your goals. So so the first of the two C's of a strong marriage are commitment and compatibility. And uh, I don't know if we should 
tell what the other three are or should we go to a break and then we'll just bring them up one at a time so each one will be a surprise that that's just a great idea let's do that you so, like surprises yes yeah, so hang on there because uh, we'll be back in just a minute to talk about the last three big C's for marriage welcome back to Ayers on the road here's Richard and Linda Iyer and we're back speaking you, to you today from St. George, Utah, and uh, we where we're here for the Senior Games and for lots of fun. We've been we went to the Shakespeare Festival, which is just about at the end, but we saw two delightful places. We went to Tuacon, and we saw um, you saw Prince of Egypt, and we saw Matilda. We have just been having way too much fun, and that's part of. Uh, the actual next thing that we're going to be talking about as far as the five C's of marriage. All right. Are you ready for number three? The third C, the third of five C's of a strong marriage is courtship. Now, again, one of the things we like about one reason we chose the words we did is they're all a little surprising. And I think Many of us think of courtship as something you do before you're married, not after you're married. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, is that a mistake to think that way. I mean, you probably need the elements and the beauties of a courtship even more after the commitment of marriage. Now, we're talking to people who have young children at home, lots of them. And uh, that is hard. It's really difficult when you have time for the courtship. Yeah, you have so many things going on. It's just some there's there were some weeks when all of our kids were home when we hardly even saw each other, let alone have a courtship. And, you know, Linda, even the word courtship is it's an old fashioned word. A lot of people think. And, 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 you know, you talk to a lot of kids today and they're like, oh, we just hang out. We don't date. We don't actually, you know, um, have a courtship. We just hang out and that that's unfortunate. And we all, every chance we get to speak to, to young, young folks, we say, Hey, you know, courtship's a fantastic thing. That's not an old fashioned word. That's one-on-one dating. That's getting to know each other. That's getting beneath the surface. That's really intimacy in a social and, uh, mental way where you're coming to really know the other person. That's a courtship and it's romance. And so if you, if you're a person who's fallen into the trap of thinking that the words romance and courtship are old fashioned, get over it because they're, they're the most important thing that can happen. And when you are married, prioritizing that romance and that courtship, that dating, that's powerful and it's beautiful. Well, let's get realistic here, though, because um, we do have to mention that we have a daughter who's living in London um, with a husband who is working in downtown London about 14 hours a day. At at Goldman Sachs. It's a a culture I just can't stand because they expect people to work 14-hour days. Well, they just give them so much to do that they kind of have to. And uh, so on weekends, they really have been have committed to have a date on Friday nights, no matter what. But last week, uh, this is our youngest daughter. She she called and said, or she wrote, I think, that um, they decided to have an at home date because they have two little boys. They have a baby 
and a two-year-old, and they just couldn't find a babysitter, so they had an at-home date. And How'd that work out? I don't like the sound of that. They well. liked at that a lot. Date, oh, well, it? it's because you didn't have to take care of the kids all week. Yeah, and, true, you know, true, true. Trying to find a babysitter. But anyway, um, it really was fun. They said they had so much fun. They watched something on Netflix, and they had some kind of a great treat that was special to both of them, and just had time to really top talk and then focus on each other, which I think works. Oh, I guess that's a fallback. Would that, would that, would that, qualify as a date in the terminology i think i've told this story on the show before so i'll make it brief but we had a man named l tom perry as our ecclesiastical leader when we lived in boston way back when and i'll never forget the meeting where he stood up and said how many of you men will join me in a commitment to take your wife on a date every week once a week on friday night and then he stood there with his hand raised and he didn't say another word or move a muscle until he just sort of looked at everyone and shamed us all into it. And finally, everyone had their hand Every up. Every single said, Good, I'm going to hold you up. to it. Every Friday, take your wife on a date. Now, maybe that wasn't practical. And maybe you could fudge it a little and go on a different night of the week. And maybe, maybe you could you have could a date at home. at home. But, but the idea of scheduling a time for dating, for romance, for courtship every week and, and prioritizing it above Dare I say this, Linda, prioritizing it above the needs of the kids in some cases. Yeah, and sometimes you can and sometimes you just can't. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of uh, spouses that are gone all week and just aren't physically aren't there. So you have to adjust to whatever works for you. But just the bottom line is that courtship is just so important in a marriage. So to review, we've got the first three C's of commitment and being compatible and carrying on a courtship. Now the fifth, the fourth one may also be a surprise. Um, another word that a lot of people would say is old fashioned. The word is chastity. Now you might say, Oh, well, that's obvious. I mean, you got to be faithful to your partner. You got, you can't fool around. You can't have affairs and so on. But I think it, it's even more than that. You know, it's like, there's this wonderful essay that we read years and years ago that's stuck in my mind ever since. It's an essay by G.K. Chesterton, an amazing English writer, a mentor of C.S. Lewis, if you can imagine. And he called, he called, it's called A Piece of Chalk. And the, the essence of it, and I'll probably mess this up a little, but the essence of his message is that virtue and chastity are not the absence of something. They're not the absence of infidelity. They're not some neutral thing that where nothing happens. He says, I love this line. He says, chastity and virtue, are, there's something flaming like Joan of Arc. <laughs> I've always remembered that phrase because chastity should be uh, an active thing in the sense of of thinking how you belong to one person and that person belongs to you and no one else. So you may say, well, that's the same thing as commitment, but it's, it, it is, it's, it, they're related, but it's something even more. It's this, it's this beautiful, wonderful security of knowing that there's only one woman for me. And in the case of the wife, there's only one man. 
And that beauty, that power, that chastity is is something that carries you through everything. Well, and we can't talk about this without mentioning the fact that pornography has taken over the world. It is so pernicious and it is just everywhere. And we cannot tell you the number of marriages of people that we know personally that have either split up or become so difficult because of pornography. We have a close family member, not our immediate children, but um, who just went through a divorce. And the really bottom line was that the husband decided he liked the pornography better than her, and he just couldn't do it. He couldn't get away. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that difficult subject, Linda, because that is part of this concept. If, If you really embrace the concept of chastity within your marriage, not only do you not have an affair, not only do you not, you know, um, think of any woman other than your wife as your soulmate and your physical partner, your intimate partner, but you, you avoid anything that causes your mind to stray from that, certainly pornography. Now, you know, I'd be disingenuous, Linda, if I said, I I think you should never notice a beautiful woman or whatever. One of the great sayings that I haven't thought of for years is before you're married, you keep your eyes wide open and and you keep them half closed afterwards. And you certainly don't want to lust. (laughs) You certainly don't want to look at other women or men in in a sexual way because that's part of chastity. Well, what you just said reminded me of one of my favorite stories about President David O. McKay, who was the prophet of our church the whole time that I grew up in my whole entire childhood. And apparently I've read this story, so it's more than just hearsay. He was up at Utah State University for the homecoming parade. Watching a parade. And uh, along came a float with uh, the royalty, or I don't know why, but anyway, maybe it was a Hawaiian float. Anyway, no, they, they had had the royalty, the homecoming royalty. But in swimsuits, I don't know. It was it was swimsuits. They, <laughs> yeah, they were in right, swimsuits. Right. I don't know why, but anyway, the man standing next to him said, "Oh, President McKay, look at that. Can you believe? Can you even believe that they're doing that?" And he said, "You know, I don't see anything that isn't absolutely beautiful." And I yeah. think that that says it in so many ways, the way that is appropriate as far as admiring beautiful women. Training yourself to, to see beauty, but not not in a lustful way. And so I guess what we're really saying, Linda, is pretty obvious that chastity is an ongoing, glowing, wonderful, beautiful thing, which you preserve and you work on and you you work on it mentally. And it strengthens that marriage, and it's always there. And it deserves to be on this list of the five C's of the strong marriage. The last one, I think, is my favorite. And again, none of these words are obvious. I think all of them are a little bit of a surprise when you hear them. But the fifth C of a strong marriage is celebration. We ought to be more grateful and more celebratory of the fact of those of us who are married and who are maybe at times having a hard time, but working at it and staying married and so on, we ought to celebrate that because it puts us in a wonderful place. You know, the, the, uh, the, the greatest blessing of all is having a soulmate, having a spouse, having someone you're committed to. And, and we don't just take it for granted 
the, the fifth C of a strong marriage is you celebrate it. You're grateful for it. You're actively happy because of what you have. It's a celebration. It is so it is fun to think about it as a celebration because it's not doesn't feel like a celebration every day. Right. <laughs> not not every it. day in every way. But, but you know, I just had the funnest experience last night. I'll just quickly say I called my sister who was um married for many, many years and her husband died twelve years ago in one day. He was diagnosed with stage four cancer at nine in the morning and he died at four in the afternoon. And, uh, or one in the afternoon. Anyway, it was just, it was shocking and he was just gone, but he's been gone for a long time. But you know, they had such a wonderful marriage, not all, not perfect like anybody, but it is, it, it was really fun to hear her say last night, she's going through a lot of hard times right now. And he just keeps sending her messages and music. <laughs> it's just so funny on their anniversary. She's sitting uh, at a pool somewhere and the music comes over. Uh, his favorite song, of or favorite she goes song. in the grocery store on her birthday, and his favorite songs. And just yesterday, she had an experience where he sent favorite song, another favorite song to, um, while she was waiting for an order. It was really absolutely darling to know that that was a celebration, even though he was gone. Well, you actually make a really interesting point, Linda. A lot of people celebrate the marriage after it's over. You know, you get a lot of celebration at, at happy funerals where we celebrate someone's life and how much in love they were. And so well, not, not an over of divorce, but as far yeah. as being gone. Well, what we want to do is celebrate while we're, while we're still here. We want to celebrate. We want to find joy exactly in these marriages and that's the bottom line so we've kind of rushed through these but we want to tell you we have a conviction that commitment compatibility courtship chastity and celebration are all active concepts that you can work on and improve on and grow in to make your marriage the best it can be so we wish you the very best and we'll talk to you again next time on Ayers on the Road see you next time bye bye